1: Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com.
0: Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Hello and welcome to episode number 77 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. I hope you're all well this week and enjoying the easing of lockdown. I'm sure you're aware that many of the galleries have started to open, although personally I'm still a little bit tetchy about going on to the London Underground. So unless I can drive to the gallery, I won't be attending for the foreseeable future. One of the galleries I will be attending is the Ben Oakley Gallery in Greenwich Market. I can drive there. Ben is showing a collection of his own work which he's been meaning to do for such a long time. He was going to do it just before lockdown. But then, as you know, all hell broke loose. The show is called I've Really Done It This Time. I'm pretty sure Ben isn't sticking to his normal opening hours. Drop him a message on Instagram, and he'll get back to you telling you the best times to go. So the weekend before last, we celebrated Pride. Well, the best way you can celebrate it with social distancing. To mark Pride, i brought down the price of two prints from £150 to £100. This was The Struggle of Roy G. Biv and The Celebration of Roy G. Biv. Both are rainbow coloured barbed wire, which are part of my time series created using the tally mark. The Struggle of Roy G. Biv is a horizontal barb created in rainbow colours that looks like a figure fighting and struggling away from the greyness of everyday society. The second, the celebration of RGBIV, is a vertical rainbow barb that seems to be waving its arms and kicking its legs, and pretty much celebrating all that Pride stands for. To have a look at these images, just go over to the Instagram pages of either the Ministry of Arts org or my own, which is Mizog Art, M-I-Z-O-G-A-R-T, and you'll see the two prints in question. There's still a few prints left in each edition, and if you'd like to purchase one at the discounted rate of £100, just contact us, tell us which one you'd like, and quote, podcast, and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. Today, I'm taking you on a little day trip to just outside Portugal's capital, Lisbon, to meet Jacqueline de Montaigne. I first got chatting to Jacqueline on Instagram when we was talking about the Ministry of Arts podcast, We've spoke often about each other's work and figured it was my time she'd come to join us. Jacqueline is such an interesting person. You'll discover when listening to this podcast that she is something of a polymath. Not only is she an amazing artist, but she is very well respected in several other fields. And I'm not even going to attempt to give you an insight. So please, come with me and meet Jacqueline de Montaigne.
3: Yeah I've got a lot of friends that are sort of political, uh, do a lot of political cartoons for magazines and papers and their, their work's been incredible. Has obviously. it crept so, into your work at all? Not obviously, I think the sort of at the beginning I was really affected, sort of really panicked about the whole thing and I guess the sort of solemnness of it creeps into my work Yeah, but I think my work's quite solemn anyway.
0: Yeah very much so, well the first question that I have to ask as we're talking about your work is how would you explain what you do to someone that didn't know your work?
3: I am a painter and muralist. I do murals in the sense of street art but I don't think I'm a street artist because I didn't sort of earn that title by growing up on the streets doing graffiti. Um, My work is mainly watercolours I do also do a lot of paintings on canvas, which I try and sort of manipulate the techniques of watercolours. And I do exactly the same on a wall. I mean, it looks And like you German do them colour.
0: very well, if you don't mind me saying. Ah, thank you. <laughs> Basically, it, um, was, it, it did throw me a few times when I've seen your work, when I was scrolling through, and mm-hmm. I'm just presuming it was a watercolour, and it turns out to be an oil.
3: Yeah, or, or or you think it's, well, that could be sort of A2 and it's two and a half metres by four metres or something. Nice. yeah. Yeah, I sort of paint the same way regardless of the surface. I, mean, I was painting on rocks the other day with my son and it just looks like watercolour on a rock. Um, my subjects are pretty androgynous and um, there's sort of a mix between figurative and very nature-based work. And yeah. Somewhere in the middle they sort of fuse, so it's a sort of figurative, um, almost scientific illustration level watercolours and then I mix them somewhere in the middle and And nearly monochromatic too a bit limited colour-wise.
0: Where where you mix figurative with the nature where does Mm. that come from I've seen that both your grandparents were involved in the arts would the interest have come from your grandparents do you think?
3: Well the the subject the the sort of nature subjects comes from my mum's father who was a botanical painter. But um, where I sort of draw draw the illustrations on the bodies, I think when in my 20s and when I was a lot younger, I used Mm. to write write on the figures I drew, almost like a diary extract, very autobiographical. So I'd always done that in the past. Actually, I did it for this collective show recently, and I haven't done it. I've
0: seen those. I like those a lot.
3: Yeah, but if you get close up, my mum's like, "Oh my God, did you write that? (laughs) I'm embarrassed." And I'm like, "I'm 40. I can write what I want." So it's, it's almost like a recording. I think also we're we're destroying the planet and they're almost like tattoos. You know, it's, it's, it's something that the figures have on them forever. It's like a, a memory. So yeah, that's yeah. sort of the meaning of it a bit.
0: I mean, for anyone who hasn't seen it and you're saying that you put, you've put text on, on the figure, it's, it's tonal, isn't it? So from a distance, you can't really see the text. No,
3: Yeah, and then you get close up. I did a lot of uh, very personal artwork growing up, but my parents were very, very conservative. So I sort of kept it to myself. And even when I painted in my 20s, it was all very abstract and it sold well and it was fine, but I was always doing these things in private and I would get quite cheeky and I'd put pretty potent texts in, you know, painted on a very delicate looking figure. And a couple of times people would buy them. I mean, I wouldn't exhibit them, yeah. And I'm like, there is no way that woman read what was written. And I used to get, <laughs> I used to get a real kick out of this. I mean, I used to write, like, if I was pissed off with someone, I'd write a whole manifesto in the background of a painting <laughs> and sell it. And there's, I doubt anyone really reads them.
2: Yeah. Or
3: I, sometimes I hope someone doesn't read them. But the one I've oh, done now, it's 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 quite fun because the the title of the show is Dilemma. Yeah, it's 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 very very personal the text so it's nice to be able to write it and then i think is anyone really reading it or not it's sort of like making something public without being yeah. public about yeah, it yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah it's um it is sort of it is just a, a sort of a little well wow factor people don't notice um the text or illustration until they gabby it can be so blatant that you can't even see it sometimes can't it
3: yeah i mean i've got i've got some really big murals And I always write something in the background or I put, I don't know, my kid's birthdays. almost like odes to something.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. I remember when my father died, I put his name on a mural, but no one knows it's there, but me. Nice. Always quite a nice feeling. That's good. You've got a 10 meter mural and no one's going to know what's written there. Yeah. Or some of the, some of the figures have tattoos on them, which are really personal or they're the tattoos I have. I've sort of replicated them, but yeah, it's, it's a nice sort of, secret message thing can't enjoy doing it
0: so the, the show you've got coming up dilemma is that in portugal where you live or yeah. is that elsewhere
3: it's it's in lisbon it's a really good gallery i mean we've got a lot of good galleries but it's uh, the curation and management is incredible i did a solo show with them last year and um they're really hands-on they really promote the artists and they're completely self-taught nice um the curator and stuff they sort of They opened a jewellery shop with a massive basement. They're like, okay, what are we going to do with this space? And they're one of the top galleries here at the moment now. So that's 24 international artists. And they're artists that have either done their solos there already or will be doing their solos. I did a big solo show with them last year. And that opened on Saturday. And it's on until the 31st of August. I mean, they've sold half the work already. How many
0: pieces have you got in there?
3: Um, One in the show, but I've got quite a few pieces. They've got sort of a back gallery where we leave pieces either that we didn't sell at the end of our show or that, you know, I've got this extra piece. Would you like it? They're they're really good like that.
0: I've not even introduced you yet. I'm speaking to Jacqueline Montaigne, who's just outside Lisbon in Portugal, as you've just mentioned. The second question I've got um, Mm -hmm. was, when was your first interest in art?
3: I I don't know. I think... I've, I've, I've always drawn or painted. I, you know, when you ask someone, when did you want to be an artist? I don't think I ever wanted to be. I just thought I was one, you know, you just sort of born roll into it. It was never a conscious decision. But, um, my mother's father, who was a painter, he died when I was eight, but I was the first grandchild. And when we, we used to live in Scotland at the time and when we'd visit, I'd sort of sit on his lap and watch him paint and the smell of the paint. And I'd sit in the back of his studio with his old books and draw and copy and um I don't know it was always an escape for me I, I've, I've always painted I really had no interest in dolls and stuff I just wanted art arts, materials and I can not remember seeing these special like brush pens in a shop must have fantasized about them for years <laughs> <laughs> all I wanted was like art books and I'm self-taught so my mum started giving me art books when I was about five or six so I used to sit for hours drawing and reading all the texts and yeah so I don't know I think I always always enjoyed art but there was no conscious decision to become an artist.
0: I see I'm always quite envious of people that say that they've always been in and around arts and they've just art is them since their earliest memory because with me it wasn't like that I just sort of the door sort of opened for me accidentally as if I took the wrong door in life and that was the art world
3: but I think that's a really cool story too. You Sort of stumbled upon it, and you've done really, really well. I mean, yeah, I, I think it's an equally cool journey into the arts. I, yeah. Certainly, an certainly an original one.
0: I mean, as long as, yeah, I suppose so. I mean, as long as we're all in the art world, I don't suppose it matters too much how we got in there.
3: No, yeah, and you do quite conceptual things. It's something I just, I'm completely incapable of doing anything conceptual. I'm so literal with my work. I always put writing sometimes on it, just in case someone doesn't get it. It's actually there in writing in the middle of the painting. But um, I do envy people with this. I love conceptual art. I do envy people that are able to build these amazing pieces. And when you read the story behind it, you're like, wow, that's incredible.
0: Yeah, but that's okay, as long as people are willing to take the time to find out what the story is behind it.
3: Yeah, no, of course, of course. If
0: they're not, it's just a pile of bricks on the floor, isn't it?
3: Yes, it is. But um, I mean, there's a lot of conceptual artists, especially now with the economic crises and stuff. The stuff they're coming out with is so clever. I mean, I do take the time to read. And when I read, I'm like, no, that's just unbelievably cool. One of my best friends is a conceptual artist in Lisbon. And sometimes I review his texts in English for him. And I'm like, oh my God, how'd you come up with that? (laughs) It's
2: so clever,
0: have not it? Yeah. See, that's that's what I loved about it when I first when I first realised what conceptual art was, um, because yeah. I was just looking at. I'm, I'm I'm sure you've heard. it, is when I just looked at the colander with the nuts and bolts in it. It was just a colander with nuts and bolts. Then yeah. when I read the story, this colander just came to life, and it was in my mind. It was massive. It was enormous. You know, it was it was full of history and and sadness, and it was, you know, it was full of all these emotions, and I just couldn't believe that that it it was all held in that Day, you know.
3: Yeah. Oh my God. Sorry.
0: That that doesn't bother me in the slightest.
3: He's a little sausage dog, and he Is just it? thinks he's
0: huge. Yeah. <laughs> Shush. Yeah, my mate's got one. He's, yeah, that's pretty similar. They think they're a a rottweiler, don't they?
3: Oh, completely. Uh, he's yeah, he's quite pathetic, but big personality.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which piece that you've created do you hold most dear?
3: Um, I, I I only really started painting, really painting the way I wanted about three years ago. I'd taken seven years out to study. Shush. I'd taken seven. Years, I'd taken seven years out to study something else, and um, I was invited to do this really cool collective show in Lisbon with three of my friends. And um, it was my son's seventeenth birthday, so I painted his portrait, and it was the first time I'd done this dripping blue that I think have been become a bit known for, not not known like famously, but a lot of my work is blue and has these drips on it. And um, Tom, he really liked the painting, so I thought, well, I'm going to keep it for his seventeenth. And I had I put a silly price on it, thinking no one would buy it, and a lot of people would. But I kept it for him for his seventeenth birthday. So this piece. It's the first time I'd started painting and also I was like, wow, people are willing to pay quite a, an elevated amount for it. Yeah. But I kept it for him. I've got actually, I've got it in the sitting room. Yeah, it's a big, big watercolour. It's got Indian and ink in it. Uh, it's blue. It's a portrait of him.
0: The blue. I mean, when I've when I've spoke of your work, I've mentioned the blue a few times. Yeah, that, that sort of, it's held there for a, a couple of years. and And when I don't see it in an artwork, that you've made, I sort of um, I sort of miss it if you if you know
3: what I mean. Yeah, actually, w- when I did this um, exhibition, my uncle had died just before it, and he was someone I really admired. He was a massive act- activist against Pinochet's um, regime in Chile, and um, he he actually suffered suffered from mental health problems. And when he died, it was a bit of a tribute to him. So I thought I'd make the whole all my work was blue. And um, mental health is something that's very significant to me. And I suffered from terrible depression from about 12 to 27, literally controlled my life. And a way of painting was always an escape. But then also when I started painting my work in blue, it was a way of being open about it and saying it without anyone knowing what I was saying. So that sort of stuck around the blue for quite a while. I mean, I still periodically do it. I think you can tell what state of mind I'm in. At the moment, my work's pink and really flowery, and quite frilly. <laughs> a friend was saying the other day, she said, oh, you know, the evolution in your work is pretty insane. Everyone's like crying and in blue three years ago, Now everyone's pink and there's no drips. Um, I mean, it's not yeah. something that's been a problem for about 13 years now. I, I studied psychotherapy. I mean, I had learned to live with it, and I'm quite outspoken about it now. But um, yeah, that's, so that's where the blue came from. I've never been very public about it, so this is kind of the first time, but it's, it's cool, it's important. Also the blue, I, I've done it quite a bit. I've made my statement, even though, yeah. I, I mean, mental health problems haven't been an issue for well over a decade. Yeah. I've sort of said it out loud.
0: You sound about your, um, your studies, you, or you've studied in various fields. Could you tell me about those?
3: Sure. Um, growing up, I was a, a good student at school. God, my dad was the headmaster of the school, first school I was in. Oh, ah, wow. It was not a good thing. You're either treated like gold by the teachers or you're treated like shit. (laughs) (laughs) I had quite a lot of problems with depression. I mean, at at about the age of 16, I had to be taken out of school. But um, even being a good student, I I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to get tattoos. I had blue or pink hair at the time. And my poor parents, you know, very reserved. My mother's the head of special needs at, at the other school that I went to in the end. Um, that, you know, you should be studying to be a lawyer or a doctor or something. I just wanted to be an artist. I just wanted to study art. And then at some point they said, OK, you know, let's apply to schools in England. Let's looking at St. Martin's and stuff. And I was like, oh, so now you're going to let me study art? I'm not going to study art. You know, just, just <laughs> I was, I was a horribly rebellious. So I went to England. And I actually studied to be a chef. That is something I don't really talk about often. I, was, uh, I studied at Tant Marie in Woking, which is one of Gordon Ramsay's chef yeah. schools. And I went to work at Eton, um, Eton College. I did the catering, I was a chef there. I, sp- I mean, I, I really didn't work that much. I spent my life in the drawing schools. And then I had my oldest son, and I came back to Portugal. And then I studied to be a psychotherapist as well. And I did psychology. I finished my schooling online with the Open University. So I could sort of travel and do other things at the same time.
0: Well, so so you were studying psychotherapy a result of your own mental problems when you was younger or at that time? Either.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It, a, a bit. I mean, there's, it's, it's obviously present in the family. So I mean, I'm lucky to be born into a family that really recognizes it. I had incredible support, especially from my mom and my dad. So my curiosity Um, curiosity and and enthusiasm really came from that and I learned a lot by studying it and I learned more by studying than I ever had with any doctors on how to live with it yeah so I really turned like bad apple into a pretty good apple pie and um, then when my youngest son was born I I studied I'd always been interested in healthcare I mean uh, so I studied medical ethics and pediatrics and nutrition and for seven years, I seven or eight years I became a consultant here and sort of very outspoken activist against companies like Nestle and how they promote oh, formal nice. and third world third world countries. And you know, I got trained by this NGO I represent in Switzerland and in England. So I became very outspoken with this. But sort of woke up one day, I thought, oh my god, I'm an artist, what am I doing? So at 37, I've been quite empowered by my experience you know, doing public speaking and like debating at parliament in Portuguese. And at the time, my Portuguese was still a bit rough. It's it's okay now. So through all that empowerment, I thought, fuck it, I'm going to be an artist again, or try. And I'd written to a woman who, I think in 2007, we were going to build refugee camps in the Algarve, which is down south. And I'd seen these really cool murals in Haiti after their natural disasters on illustrations So I was thinking, you know, we're going to have all these um, refugees come to Portugal. They're not going to speak Portuguese. Many of them are illiterate. You know, let's use images on walls in the camps on, on hygiene and nutrition, especially in pediatrics, because things like, you know, breastfeeding can save more lives than any vaccine known to man in the first 28 days of life. So I contracted this curator saying, you know, can we do this? Can you get me artists? Can you curate the project? And she's like, great, sure. Let's go for it. We didn't actually build the camps, but a few months later, she asked me to paint a mural and I was like, uh, a bit petrified. (laughs) How the hell am I going to do that? And that's how I accidentally stumbled into painting murals. Nice. Well, it's good
2: when, when,
0: when someone calls your bluff, isn't it? You know, you, you come up with this idea and you, you sort of figure out, all the issues that may be within that idea. And then someone says, yeah, right, go for it. And that's the bit you're not quite prepared for, isn't it?
3: I was so nervous. It was ridiculous. I I went and sat down with a friend of mine called Mario Beleng, who's a really well-known street artist here. And I'm like, can I ask you really stupid questions? Don't think I'm stupid. He said, yeah, go on, come round. And I'm like, what happens when the paint drips? (laughs) It's like, there, there there are no what are those books, you know, computers for dummies and there yeah. are no, how to paint a mural for an idiot. And he, he sort of zoomed into some really well-known artworks. He says, look, there's paint dripping everywhere. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, how do you charge? How do you scale? I mean, we just, I ended up just doing old fashioned scaling with a grid. Yeah. So he, he helped a lot and I'm like, how do you hold a spray can? Um, I used spray cans in the first one. I've since decided I really, really hate spray cans, but um, that's how I stumbled into painting the murals.
2: Well,
0: the murals, you know, they they don't always have to be spray cans, do they?
3: Yeah, I mean, there are some people that paint hyper-realist murals, and I'm like, they must be using a brush. Yeah. They're not, they're incredible at what they do.
2: Beautiful,
0: it? It it?
3: does take away the sort of ability to create shadows manually. And it, it, I mean, you can create incredible blending with spray cans that takes a bit of work with a paintbrush. Um, But I, I would never trade. I really like painting with a paintbrush on the walls i really enjoy it and it's water-based i mean the smell of spray can is really even with a mask in the heat it's really heavy going to be around
0: do you never use a spray can is it always a brush Uh,
3: i have it i have a few times it's also really solid color i mean really opaque and really vibrant colors that if you want to get that intensity with them. I don't know, acrylic or wall paint, you've got to do a couple of layers. So yeah. it really helps with the workload. So I have a few times, but I, I avoid it. Makes my skin itch as well. You know, it's like you get a thin layer of it all over your body. It's awful. But um not my favorite medium.
0: What do you do to relax?
3: Um paint. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, sometimes I'll be doing huge paintings on the walls in my studio, but I'll have like little watercolors going on my desk. Um do a lot of sports I spend a lot of time with my youngest son who's my sort of mini artist we go to a lot of exhibitions and I mean things have changed now with lockdown we can't really go to exhibitions and then out for dinner afterwards yeah but um a lot of sports
2: Uh,
3: yeah he's he's a very very talented artist uh but he's a photography and he's done he's had two shows he sold out both times I'm really proud of him and he's actually studying photography now, but um, the course really didn't turn out to be as good as I thought it would be. So he's pulled out of that, but hopefully he'll continue with it because he's really very good. And second, is it in Portugal where he's studying? Yeah. So it's a Portuguese university. It's actually an English course that they've translated into Portuguese and somewhere in the middle. A lot has been lost in translation. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a bit miffed with that, but um, there are some really good courses. So we'll find something for him to do. And what does your youngest want to do? Does he want to do the arts? Oh my God, depends on the day. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He's lovely. He's, you know, I've taught him, you know, research your facts before you share your opinion. So he's really into researching. At the moment he's obsessed with World War II and he wants to be a a historian, but he spent like six months wanting to be an obstetrician, spent six months studying anesthetics. Yeah, he's, he's really intense and he, he loves hanging around artists. And I take him to a lot of shows and he will go up to like really well known artists, center of the room, said, Hi, I'm Freddie, you know, tell me about your work. Excellent. So he's, he's Excellent. really confident. And it's nice because a lot of artists, well, they're really cool with kids. You know, they bend down, talk to him at his level, and really appreciate the attention. And how old is he again? Sorry? Uh, he's just turned 10. There's 10 years between them, Brilliant. 10 and 20, almost Brilliant. 20. Yeah, but he, he does a lot of show jumping. So he would like to be a horse, a horse rider and oh, yeah. a historian at the moment. Yeah, he's, he's very confident. He's a cool kid. If
0: there was you and five other artists, Jack, Jacqueline, past and present, what would your ideal group show be?
3: Um, Swoon. Swoon is, uh, she's, a, she's an American street artist. I think she's 40 something, bit older than me. And when she was at college, she started doing paste-ups in the streets and paste up is you paint a painting on paper and you stick it to the walls so it's a a quick sort of street intervention smashing (laughs) great yeah basically actually i i do it a lot it's one of the things i do to relax i'll paint a massive sort of paste up installation and go out at midnight because i'm getting a bit older i'm not going out four in the morning and it's quicker to do a paste up than it is to graffiti so Yeah, yeah but um yeah so she does paste ups and uh, a lot of activist work as well and she's got a massive show opening in Lisbon this afternoon well there's no opening but I'll the one I might go and sit in the queue to have a look and try and get a print so she's very cool her work is very feminist based very sort of sacred feminine love Tracy Emin, Tracy Emin had a massive impact uh, on me growing up I went to see the Turner Prize when she was nominated went with my dad we were in England at the time and I was like oh my god that's so cool she's like written her heart and soul out and it's public and it's okay so that had a big impact on me with my work I just thought even when I started writing in my work and putting very personal things trying to not think if someone would read it or not that really came after seeing her work her
0: honesty literally makes my heart race it it sort of it makes me take a breath you know because it's it's she just opens up her soul and her heart doesn't she
3: It it is and I was 18 or 19 at the time and I I was just so amazed by it and um actually she's when I mention her here it's not an artist that anyone really knows here or not 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 very well yeah and when I show her work they're like oh my god how is it I haven't heard about her because it, it is it's so brutally honest it's almost great honest but in such a beautiful confident way or perhaps a lack of confidence i don't know but it had a huge impact on me i thought you know i really can put my heart and soul in my work and it whether my parents like it or not doesn't really matter
2: <laughs>
3: so that 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 had a that's two um paula gregor do you know paula gregor so she's a portuguese painter she's represented by the Mar- marlborough in london oh yeah She's in her 80s now. She's, she was made a dame. I mean, she had most of her career in England. She studied at the Slate School of Art. And, um, I mean, her oh, work Arrego. goes for a million pounds. Yeah. Ah, there Sorry. you go. The accent. <laughs> Paul Rego. Yeah. Paul Rego.
0: <laughs> oh, how ignorant am I? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I've had huge conversations with people. And we're talking about exactly the same thing. We're just saying it with a different accent. Yeah. Her work's massive. You're taking, you either love it or hate it. And she was a great friend of my dad's. So, and she went to St. Julian's, which is my dad's school, where he was a headmaster. I met her for the first time when I was about 11 or 12. And um, she'd invited me to go out and do a small apprenticeship with her. Nice. In my teens. She's incredible. I mean, her son has just done a documentary about her that he present. There's a Paula, Paula, (laughs) Paula Rego, a building half a mile away from me and um it's somewhere i go when i'm sort of lacking inspiration it's just her work i mean periodically there's uh, foreign shows but on like a side room yeah i think she lives in kushkaiz now that she's retired yeah she did so abortion was always illegal in portugal until a few years ago so a lot of her work growing up was about legalizing abortion it's quite it's quite political her work and she was supported by the Gorbenkin foundation also which is a foundation my dad did stuff with and actually, if you look at some of her work, she's got the old St. Julian's uh, school uniform in it, like the school tie we all had to wear. Yeah, she's, she's really cool. Um, another artist, Peter Lindbergh. Love Peter Lindbergh. You know, he sort of made androgyny cool and sexy. Yeah. Um, how many have I got? Is that for? Anthony Lister. Yeah. So I really like his work. He's painted a few murals here, and I've, got, I've actually I've got one of his paintings at home. So I like his work a lot. That's, that's like my curator's dream show. Of course. But I love Beatrix Potter. It had a massive impact on me growing up. don't know if she'd fit in that show. She'd fit out the, of the place. The, the stories or the, the illustration? The illustrations. I wanted to grow up to be like that. I wanted to paint like that. I mean, I, I, I originally wanted to be an illustrator. It doesn't really pay the bills unless you're really out there. But, um, yeah, I thought she was Is amazing growing they... up.
0: The watercolor effect comes in.
3: I think so, yeah, because my grandfather didn't paint watercolors, he actually painted an acrylic. So the watercolors I I mean I've still got a set of all the Peter Rabbit books in my bedroom, one of the original sets was given when I was born. I still look through them with my youngest son. I love them. You just there's nothing like it. Also I I loved old old anatomy books and illustration books. I mean, now I'll spend hours in like book fairs trying to find these old books. But, uh, yeah, she definitely contributed to my love of watercolours.
0: Excellent. I I like that, how artists from an era that is sort of not shunned upon, but it's sort of ignored a little bit nowadays. um, I like it when when they get sort of revitalised and their ideas are used again in in a modern way. I I really like that.
3: Yeah, me too. I think she's, uh, I mean, also in a time that women were really not celebrated for very much at all. No. No, I really love her work. I think if there's one artist that I could ever choose that I love above all others, it's got to be Beatrix Foster.
0: <laughs> Excellent. And why not? And why not? You know, your inspirations yeah, yeah. come from, from all sorts of places, don't they? If you wasn't an artist, what would, you, what would you like to be? I
3: don't know. Growing up, I wanted to be an RSPCA officer. I thought that Excellent. was so cool. We had nothing like that here. I used to watch all the programmes on... The English programs here on television. I don't know, something health related. I mean, I studied all my foundation in nursing and stuff. Quite like midwifery, I studied to be a doula. I'm a qualified doula. But if I was a midwife, I'm not great working with other people or for other people. I'd probably be in a village in Africa or something (laughs) where I could do my own thing. You've got a lot of hats. I've got a short attention span. I've always got to be doing something. I mean, even like you're saying, what do you do to relax? I actually find it really hard to relax. I've got to be doing something even though I'm relaxing. Like, running or walking or sports or painting I never really I wasn't sure I didn't really think or even though I'd done quite well with painting in my 20s I didn't really think I mean who am I to become an artist or something so I've yeah. always had these alternatives and I'm, I'm really curious I'm always studying I'm, I'm, I might I would still like to study other things in the future when I have more time I'd love to study there's a course that Sotheby's gives on international curatorship Yeah, I've seen that I'd quite like to have a look at that. It's quite short, so I'd rather do a short course to know if I really want to invest in it anymore. Do you create exhibitions mm, yourself there? Not yet. I'm curating something at the end of the year for mental health awareness, which will be pretty big, I hope, because I want to take it to Parliament as well because we have no official statistics for suicide rates yet. I mean, that's that's as far as my curatorship experience has
0: gone so far. Will it be in tandem with taking it to Parliament?
3: Um, that That isn't the plan. I have to think which way I want to do it. But, I mean, because I do have a bit, quite a bit of experience in taking arguments and creating project projects, and I'm good with statistics and speaking publicly. So I, I've had that experience in another field, and really it's a template you can apply to anything. But the fact that we have no official st- statistics... I mean, our mental health support here is actually very, very good. But... There's very little funding here. Things tend to be on a voluntary basis like SOS hotlines. Yeah. And a few, two weeks ago, a very well-known person here, an actor, uh, committed suicide. I, I knew him. He's a local from kashkai really nice guy, beautiful family, five kids, everything going for him, beautiful wife. But the, the comments that came out in the press are so, so deeply ignorant that, you know, I was getting really pissed off about this. This is awful. Everyone thinks they know something. Yeah, and the the stigma surrounding men talking openly about it is huge, especially here. We're a Latin country. Guys like football and beer and women. You know, I I know that's everywhere, but we are a Latin country. It's even less spoken about. Guys don't cry, or they shouldn't. So I wanted to use – I mean, I've never really had the courage to speak about mental health so openly, certainly not publicly. So I've sort of waited. (laughs) But his passing really gave me a bit of a kick in the butt, so I'd like to do something – Towards the end of the year, I've already spoken to the main town hall who said, you know, create the project, let's review it.
0: Nice.
3: And hopefully that, but I'd like, you know, parallel events like public speaking and, and I'd like to see, I mean, I do have access to our national health system in an internal level because I'm, I still, every few months, I'm a, a European consultant for the, poli, for the policy implementation in pediatric nutrition. So I still wow. do that. So I have access to the building and the professionals inside. Yeah. So I'd love to find out really, one thing is what we do. Another thing is what exists officially. So I, I would like to sort of marry the two subjects a bit and do something with it. A few years ago, I we I did this report. It's on an international platform and it came out in the press in Portugal. It's called the World Breastfeeding Trends Initiative. It's not actually about breastfeeding. It's about the policies we have. Do we implement them? It's all under the Convention of the Rights of the Child. So it also... Involves like statistics about genital mutilation in children, child abuse, and stuff. And, um, you know, the petition that came out overnight, we had about 40,000 signatures within 24 hours. And we're at our third round of parliament. You know, so you have your different stages before something is made law. And this um, petition is to give women full pay for six months while they're breastfeeding. But the few times we had like mirrors on breastfeeding and stuff, they go viral. So, Art, I think, is incredibly important, especially for policy change. Because one, we're targeting a new generation, younger kids. They don't want to read a ten-page pamphlet on no. statistics and rubbish like that. So when we do use things like art, especially public art, which is, face it, it's cool, it's trendy. It, it, if when you do have social messages in public art, they do go viral. Mm-hmm. It's also free publicity. You don't have to pay for it. Yeah, you know, yeah. it it runs itself. So. It is you're targeting a different audience, and with public art, it's a huge, massive advertisement for something you're trying to do. You know, it's incredibly important. So, using the public art is something I'd like to. Well, I think November's Mental Health Awareness Month, so the murals will be painted in October, and hopefully, we can take our argument to Parliament a bit.
0: And are the Portuguese people open for change in areas, in areas like that?
3: It depends. I don't know. It's, it's a very, very patriotic country. Um, We're very advanced in certain things, but you don't really hear about our advancements on the international platform of the world, but they're very accepting. You know, you, if you get like a 80 year old man chatting about mental health, he's like, you know, I don't know, go and have a steak and a beer and (laughs) grow some hair on your chest. But when, when this, this man passed away, Pedro Lima, a few weeks ago, the, the outpour of support was huge, you know, from public figures. And a couple came out and said, you know, I also have depression. or, But it's not the sort of thing people are willing to put their face in front of on billboards, you know, the face of depression. So I don't know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I mean, really, the out, a lot of people have. Spoken about it, but the ignorance and assholes that have made such stupid comments are just just as bad. I mean, this yeah. man's kids were being bullied at school, getting messages from their classmates saying, Serve you right. A child capable of saying like that did not grow up in a cat family that is accepting and can show empathy and talks openly about subjects. So it's important that this is discussed. Yeah. Even in schools, you know, we're where molding the people that are going to be looking after us when they're old. So it's important that these things are, are made i don't know easy easy to talk about or spoken about openly
0: sorry there's definitely been a change in the uk over the last 10 years
3: yeah the the things on the news and that incredible art installation where you've got the bodies on top of the building i think there's the same amount as the men that had committed suicide and the the suicide again amongst men is much higher than women as well actually i was thinking if i do do this i know that what is it the duke and duchess of Cambridge what is it, the Royal Foundation, one of their subjects is mental health.
0: I you know one Calm who put that installation up, um, mm-hmm. or the installation was done in, in their name. I know that at that precise time, the two princes were back in Calm as well at that point.
3: It would, be, it would be really nice to get, I mean, I have dual nationality, it would be really nice to write and get some support saying, you know, well, we don't have this in Portugal as a British Portuguese citizen can we at least have some verbal support because i know that will really put it in the limelight here that it really exposed and then i think the middleton brother i'm really bad with names you know he came out about mental health problems recently as well yeah something like that would really put it on the map here the portuguese are funny if, if we get a recommendation from abroad they'll put up their walls i mean they'll they'll give you their back but um international support that would be really cool if i could wing something with that
0: do you think the people of Portugal would open up and talk about depression?
3: I don't know. I think so. But, but the fact, like, I, I can't find statistics. We don't have a, a black and white registry of statistics. I mean, it's, it's, we're, we're very advanced. We, we have a very sort of placid society here. A lot of things haven't been pushed because, you know, why, why do the work? I mean, it's only, what, three years ago, domestic violence became illegal, became a crime. Until then, a oh, man shit. could justify uh, three, four, possibly five. Not further than that. It was in December. And I remember, until that point, a man could justify beating the shit out of his wife because she was irritating him. So we're, we're quite backward in, in various things. But we are advanced in the sense of camaraderie. camaraderie society. Even, even the, the lockdown. We were on lockdown before it was made manda- mandatory. You know, the country really came together. It's It was really beautiful to see. I was really proud.
0: Does religion but get in the way of some of the laws and rulings?
3: It can't, shouldn't, but um, we are a predominantly Catholic country. I think hmm. that has really delayed abortion rights and things like that. Yeah. It's a proudly Catholic country. Not everyone's Catholic, certainly not the younger generations, but um, it's hugely accepted. It's not shunned on at all. But I think politicians and stuff, deep down, it does get in the way of a lot of opinions. Yeah. But, you know, we're a democracy, I guess, so. You
0: you just mentioned there about the the younger generation, do they still have that attitude with depression? Or because of social media, do they open up a little bit to each other, do you know?
3: I know the problems have become huge, especially with the lockdown. So my son's lot and a bit younger, It's had a massive impact on them this whole lockdown. And we are looking at years and years of mental health problems that are going to come from economic problems, crisis that we're facing, people that have suffered from from the the COVID-19 and have recovered are, you know, documenting horrible mental health problems. So it's something we're going to have to address. You know, these kids have been in lockdown for four months, has a huge impact. They're not socializing. A friend of my son's died about a week ago. Indirectly, directly. I mean, I, I don't think we can talk about the details, but I, I do know that this lockdown has had a horrible effect on these kids. Yeah. Like, really bad. So, it whether they like talking about it or not, we're, we're going to have to. We've got years and years. I was listening to the BBC News uh, online, global BBC, whatever, and they were talking about, you know, we're looking at an economic crisis, we're looking at a massive mental health crisis. And you know, people that are incredibly established professionally we've got a triple Michelin star chef and he's from Cushkite. We're all locals down here because Portugal is incredibly small. If you don't, if you don't know someone you're probably related to, or you do know them (laughs) or you're related, whatever the amount of times I've brought friends home, my mom's like, Oh, you're a distant cousin. I'm like, okay. (laughs) But this huge chef, we have two huge chefs. I mean, they have over a thousand staff. They've gone bankrupt in this, you know, years and years of working, huge companies have shut down, you know, pillars of, uh, economic like shops and stuff, things that have been around since I was a kid, they've closed. They just can't keep going. And even even now, you know, the economic problems, like restaurants and stuff, are at ten percent. We're hoping for twenty. No one has any money. All these kids with summer jobs. All the festivals have been cancelled. They 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 have no summer jobs. What are they going to do? And they're living with older generations because they can't afford housing because yeah. housing has gone up about 60% in the last three years.
0: Oh shit.
3: Yeah, it's absolutely crazy, especially with the Airbnb thing. And we offer golden visas. So if you spend over half a million, you get a European visa or something. Duh. So these kids, what have they got to look forward to? Yeah. Like picking out the pieces we've left for them and they is can't it, go out much. They can't see each other. That's awful.
0: Is it worth contacting a, a, a mental health awareness charity in the UK? Or would the statistics here be different uh, or very different yeah. from Portugal? Well,
3: we're going we're to have European statistics, but I need national statistics to argue. And we have to see what we have. And first, you need to find out who's responsible, which can take me six months. You, you'd be surprised. Everyone's like, oh, it's them. No, it's them. Oh, I don't know who it is. Well, actually, yeah. it should be you. Oh, really? Uh, I mean, I, I can't complain. It's, it's a very safe country. We, th- we don't. There's incredible support, regardless of who you are. But things like that, you know, it, it, it's not a lot of effort you need to make them happen. So it's finding out who's responsible and offering support, offering help and trying to move forward with that.
0: Yeah, because over yeah. here, a lot of the time, a lot of your energy is taken up just jumping through hoops after hoop, you know.
3: Yeah, All well, the bureaucracy here, my God, England is so civilised. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever my mum's, like, on the phone because she, she still has <laughs> bank accounts there and stuff. So whenever she's on the phone, she's like, Oh, I just called England, they're so civilized. Here you can (laughs) spend hours on the phone. You know, and no one really knows who you're talking to or supposed to talk to. Yeah. But bureaucracy here is absolutely barmy. Everyone complains about it, but we do compensate. We've got really nice weather, really good food, it's really safe to live here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a that's a good trade-off, right? Yeah. I see that you've done a little something for (laughs) background Bob. Yeah, that's so cool.
3: It is. Um, I saw that Heath Kane. uh, Heath Kane's great. I I wrote to him after listening to his podcast with you, and um, we've been chatting ever since. And when I was going to go for for Roy's art fair, we were going to meet up. And I've spoken about galleries here, and he's given me tips for galleries there. And he sent some really cool prints for my sons, and they've got them up in their bedrooms. Nice. And um, I'd seen that he had posted something about it. I really wanted to get involved.
0: I mean, this is the first time I've mentioned um, background Bob on a podcast. So if you just give us a little bit of background on background Bob.
3: Noah is a 10 or 11 year old boy. He has cerebral palsy, epilepsy and hydrocephalus. And he's in a wheelchair. So during the lockdown, his dad got hit, started in painting to keep him entertained. I think somewhere along along the line, he asked an artist to collaborate or paint. So it's about an A4 piece of cardboard and Noah paints abstract, very vibrant paintings on the cardboard. And then artists have been collaborating and painting what they paint on the cardboard and sending it back to the father. I think they're going to be exhibited. I think everything that gets back before August 1st goes into a book and they're going to be exhibited and put up for auction to raise money for the pediatric unit in the NHS hospital Brilliant. that has always looked after Noah.
2: Yeah.
3: It's kind of gone global. I think. Yeah. I, mean, I know I got, I wrote to the father and um, a few days later I got the cardboard in the post. It had pink and green on it. I thought, yeah. <laughs> Yes to pink. Not sure how to do green. So I think it's the most psychedelic thing I've ever painted, but I, kept it traditional. I put the swallows in it, which are a big symbol of Portuguese culture. And um, I posted it yesterday, I, I meant yesterday or the day before, and I mentioned that, you know, I'd seen it on Heath Kane's page. And then some of my artist friends, Portugal's very small, so whether you're at the top or the bottom, everyone kind of knows each other. Yeah. So some artist friends have, were like, oh, that's a really cool idea. I'm like, go on, you can do it. So I was up, up until about three in the morning two nights ago writing to everyone I think we must have at least 40 artists from here and a friend of mine who's a curator she published it publicly this morning to ask for Portuguese artists to get involved so yeah I think uh, I sent a little warning message saying I think you might get a bit of a wave from Portugal (laughs) (laughs) sorry but um yeah it's it's a it's a really really cool idea I remember in my teens I when I was having really shitty time my dad said, that's fine. Don't go to school. Fine. You can stay at home, but don't lie in bed all day. So down the road, we, we've always ridden. Uh, we do a lot of riding in the family. So down the road are, are some stables and they do riding for the disabled. And um, so I used to go down there and volunteer a couple of times a week. And I, I was so happy. And I'm really comfortable with kids with special needs. And yeah. my mother's a special needs teacher. So, um, yeah, and I'm a mum, So I really wanted to do something. You know, ticking
0: ticking all the right boxes, eh?
3: Yeah, and a lot of friends that have written they're like, Oh my god, that's so cool. And some of them are a bit stingy when it comes to charity work. They're not really necessarily the ones I would call. Yeah. But with this, everyone's on board. Not not one one of the artists, not one of them has said, Oh, I can't write now, sorry. They're like, Yeah, it's so cool. I mean, I've written yeah. the text in English for some of them that don't write English, so they can send it to the father. Got but I think it's a beautiful project. Really, really cool.
0: Well, it's it's been a hard time for artists on the charity front because artists are are very giving anyway aren't they with their with their work but when the covid kicked in a lot of artists i've spoke to they've been asked so many times to to give an artwork and it's it it hurts sometimes to to say no you know but but sometimes just it, it got to a point where you had to in the end
3: yeah i've i've I'm, I'm quite selective. I'd say about 40% of my work is pro bono and really anything streetwise, like big murals and stuff, because I, I, I really like my gallery work. I like painting, paintings. It's got to have a social aspect for me. But it, it, it is quite hard when everyone, you get contacted by charities, like, oh, could you just do that for me? As though I have nothing else to do and I can churn them out by the thousand. Yeah. And sometimes they're a bit blunt in the way they ask like you know they almost expect it and they don't really say thank you well that, that's happened a few times to me but there are some projects that you know i can't say no to uh, this was one of them well we write to them he didn't even ask us we're yeah. like, please let me join in your project it's so cool but um no nah, it gets a bit hard sometimes everyone's like oh could you do this could you do that and you're like oh that's really cool and they're like well we're not really going to pay you and i'm like that's a week out of my work murals actually yeah. especially street artwork it's I've got transport, it's not near my house. So I, I, you know, you've got all your expenses, petrol, time, a week out of my, my work schedules, not, not very financially viable. I've got expenses at the end of the month, so it's not something I can do all the time. But if it's something really important, I'm absolutely there.
0: Yeah, good.
3: Actually during lockdown, I have a bunch of friends that are doctors and some are in Brazil, I went to school with them. So I wrote to them and said, you know, I know they can't necessarily afford portraits or something. So I, d- I said, I'd love to do a portrait of your child. So it's got their mind off being locked up in the hospitals and we sort of had yeah. the back and forth. So that I've done quite a bit. So that's been rewarding.
0: Did you do anything for the artist support pledge?
3: Yeah, I, I put, I have some old pieces in my, I don't know, scroll down, down at the bottom somewhere. So I put the <laughs> artist support pledge yeah. hashtag on them. Yeah, yeah, so I've got quite a few pieces.
2: Yeah, that's from been that. handy.
3: Yeah, and, and I did actually. Well, possibly not the way it was meant to have been done, but after I – the first week of lockdown, I thought, oh, my God, I've waited all these years to be an artist. It's all gone to shit. So I started just doodling, and I put everything in time lapses on my story. Everything I've done in the last four months is sold, which is unbelievable.
2: Brilliant.
3: So – but I have bought pieces. So the first thing I bought through an artist support pledge was a whopping great print from Ben who I adore. Yeah and um there's one from sally i can't remember her last name she does the massive she's on your podcast something she Oh, painter
0: paint sally
3: yeah painter sally so that's why i'm not sure her last Fucking name brilliant so she I put a bunch her, out the artist's support ledge and pledge and she's got a nude in a really awkward position with beautiful red highlights so that will be my next one but yeah it's been fun so every four five every thousand pounds that i make i have so far gone back and bought stuff she's really cool she's also got a sausage dog I think it's just had puppies I saw on Instagram it has. I've discovered through your podcast a lot of sausages have artists no a lot of artists <laughs> have sausage
0: dogs oh, I think you might have been right they're so demanded <laughs> I think you might have been right the first time
3: hello this is my artist owner no.
0: yeah. we've already spoke about a project you've got directly coming up but have you got anything else in the pipeline?
3: yes a collective show in either end of october beginning of november i mean this year i all my shows were abroad, but as that's not going forward i've accepted some more collectors here that's in october for Art. and it's all women and i think the subject will be change and with a brazilian gallery in september and i'll be in roy's art fair next year in england which you know we postponed i was meant to be there in april now and i should have a a solo collection being presented in Madrid which still waiting for dates that was meant to have been done in June but obviously Spain's really suffered with the virus so everything's a bit in the air but collectives yes solos next year yes what voice have
0: you signed day. up for the one in October or ah, the one next year
3: it's so funny your podcast because you I've been speaking to them for months and then I heard his voice on your podcast and I was like oh Didn't, you know <laughs> <laughs> and um so even though I've been put down for March, I said, because of the travel restrictions, we don't know what's happening. I'm happy to be like at the bottom of your list for a rollover because it doesn't need to be March for me. Oh yeah. I actually <coughs> prefer it if it's a bit later on because I have stuff to already <coughs> put <it> until March. Ah, <sharp> oh, my word. But um, they've been lovely. <coughs> we have nothing like that here. We don't have art fairs. Well, we have two art fairs, but they're massive and not very accessible unless you sign to a gallery. And I'm not willing to sign to a gallery at this point in my life sorry, would
0: you and some fellow artists not be willing to try and put one together? I was talking about
3: it yesterday because the few things we have here really monopolised by two, one, well, one big sort of curator and they link a lot to brands and it's not something I, I'm interested in being connected. I have no commercial connections. I've always turned around, turned down any connection to brands or corporations or anything. But it's something that, I'd really like to look into in the future, at least a space or, I mean, because we're looking at, we give galleries between 50 and 60% before tax here. Oh, so, wow. I mean, my, my work is not stupid expensive. It's, it's an established price, but I've got massive amounts of costs of framing, give a gallery 50% or 60 plus tax. I'm looking at, I mean, we, artists only pay 6% tax here, but I'm looking at possibly 15% of the final value of my work. You know, and even if we rent a space, you're looking at 500 to 1,000 euros a day sometimes. That's just bombing.
2: Yeah.
3: So a lot of younger artists or emerging artists, I think I fit in category as well. You know, there's nowhere that we can really, unless it's like somewhere in the outskirts of somewhere, you know, nothing really exists at the moment, but it's something that we are discussing amongst ourselves. It'd be really cool to do something about it. Yeah. I mean, you
0: mentioned only last night or the night before, even when we was talking, the show that I was in with Diana Alley, The Loss and Lucidity. And I, I wasn't obviously able to go to that in, in Lisbon. But what was the... I can't even remember the name of the gallery it was in. Uh, oh, Bras de
3: Brast Prata. Yeah, I remember because I think when I first started talking to you, um, you'd said, oh, I had had a collector's show in Portugal. So I just put your name in in Portugal, Lisbon. And it was in Bras Prata. So that is a warehouse out beyond, just beyond lisbon it's really cool it's like an art art hub thing they have concerts there's like a restaurant on one side and it's cool industrial building so shows look really good and i think you can apply or or rent out spaces and stuff so yeah that that's one option but we've got the bureaucracy here that's quite a hard site and they're very near to a very big important gallery which is all out, well, it's just up the road, really, called Underdogs. That's where the show is this afternoon that I'm going to, where I'd like to go to in the queue for the rest of the day.
0: Sorry. Hmm? Do you have much of an artist-led thing out there where like, artists might make a pop-up gallery in an in a unused shop? No.
3: We really Could that don't. be a thing? Yeah of course I mean it it takes it I mean I did this pop-up where I did that when you asked me what was the painting I hold most dear, it was actually for a pop-up in a really really good contemporary gallery god knows how we got space but that was for 48 hours so pop-ups are a possibility but now with the COVID thing it's uh, you know where do we stand is it something we want to invest in or or try and do but it's I don't know, there's always costs and the bureaucracy and the papelada all the paperwork and stuff.
2: Just yeah. kind of,
3: but it's, it's something yeah, that we have to do. I'd love to do this curatorship. Of course, I don't think it'll make much difference because I've got a really strong on, idea on how I would invite people and who I would invite. And, and I want it to be more open. I don't, Portugal's very much who you know, who you related to, what's your last name. And I know you get that in other countries, but I really don't think it's something that should apply to the art world because a lot of exceptional artists are just put on the side. Yeah. You know, they're not given the opportunities. I'm really passionate about this as well with younger artists. I mean, Tom, my older son is 20 and I, I have helped him with the shows he's done, but I shouldn't have to use, you know, connections to say, look, this is a, and the work he sold out with the second time he'd taken when he was 13, you know, this is my 13 year old son. I mean, in the end he got in based on his work and recommendation letters that had nothing to do with me. And we have different last names so they didn't actually put two and two together. But for him to be able to get to that point, he needed my kick in the butt and my help. And it just shouldn't be necessary. In my teens, there were loads of competitions. There were loads of opportunities and you didn't have to be 18. Now, the few things you find, you have to be 18 and over or your parents have to sign for you. Yeah. There's a big, big loop or there's a big, like, grey area here. There really should be more. And, I mean, I hope to have time to do a bit more in the future.
0: I mean, there yeah. were a lot less opportunities here until the like the freeze exhibition that, that sort of Damien Hurst and, and his gang put on um it was not quite a closed shop but there was definitely a, a route you had to take to get into the art world um or at least to make it a lot easier so you know so, so that was only what was that We
3: well, even 20, 20 years 20. ago everyone would say well where'd you study art and I'm like oh I didn't study art anywhere but I did have a patron Actually, I've got one recently that's connected to China, where well, I was going to exhibit in China that's gone to pop. But, you know, it's really hard to find people like that nowadays. They're actually friends of my parents, a Swedish couple. I mean, they took my work everywhere. It was in Argentina, and I was like 13 and 14. It's almost unheard of now, especially at that age. But, and it's another reason I really didn't go for it, sort of painting exactly what I wanted to paint, which is what I'm doing now, because I thought, no no one's going to even look at my work, because I didn't study anything. Yeah. And then I started looking at other artists and their bios and a lot of self-taught. And it's something I found really empowering listening to your podcasts is a lot of the artists are self-taught and listening to their sort of journey to where they've got to now. And I'm like, oh that's so cool. I can relate. You know, I'm not going balmy. I can do this. So it's
0: the institutions getting in the way and, and making it so hard for artists to put their art on a wall inside. That's one of the reasons that it the the graffiti and street art have boomed so much. Because, you know, they haven't got to jump through those hoops, you know?
3: Yeah, but still to make the graffiti and do the street art, there's very few that actually get paid for it. Or the the, the loop, between, the bit by doing painting freely and getting paid to paint, it's very distant, distant between the two. And even when you get paid, I mean, you've got a couple of artists in the world that can charge £30,000 for a wall. It's like weeks work for them. But yeah. in general, it's incredibly, incredibly rare. So there's actually not a pay in it. A lot of pay in doing street art, but what it does do, which I mean, I've gone from in Portugal. Portuguese we say oito a oitenta. You know, we go from eight to eighty in two seconds. (laughs) My my work, my work. When you translate it, sounds really lame. I've just said that. That sounds really daft. But um, my work. I've done some really big murals in Lisbon. As you arrive on the train, there's two warehouses on the right. One's done by a Brazilian, like really well-known graffiti artist called Bicicleta Semfreu, which is a bicycle without a chain. That's what it means. And then I've done the warehouse next to them. And I remember 10 years ago, something, getting the train in to go and see their mural, thinking, wow, this is so cool. Never in a billion years did I think I paint the building next to them. So things like that have generated a lot of work, even though we don't get paid that well for them. Yeah. It's generated tens of thousands of euros worth of work. I mean, I've been flown out to Brussels based on that mural to go paint in Brussels. You know, and a lot of artists turn down murals because they're not being paid. It's it's free publicity. Can you imagine what it cost you to have a ten meter advertisement of your of your um, chain? Um, yeah. The wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah in yeah. the center, in the center of London, that's just barmy. It costs you a bomb to do that. But it's such a public platform for your work that the publicity is worth an absolute bomb. It's still limited. Even the people that. So here, legally, if you want to paint a wall, you need the permission of the owner of the wall and you need to submit an image to the town hall. But a lot of Lisbon is um, registered buildings. You can't actually paint on them. But you can paint on doors. And we have huge, beautiful doors in the city. And you don't need the town hall's permission to paint on the doors. So I've, done, I've got an eight-meter door to this theater in the center of Baijualto, which is a very trendy area of Lisbon. Excellent. And that, that, I've done it three years running. First two years were pro bono. This year I got it, was paid, but it's generated a bombing work. You know? Jacqueline, where can people find your work online? I have my website that has everything from CV to bio and stuff. That's jacquelinedemontaine.com. And on Instagram, it's jdemontaine. And I have a page on Facebook, but I rarely use it. So it's really mainly Instagram and my website.
0: Excellent. Well, that's all my questions asked.
3: Cool. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much for your time.
3: <laughs> Thank you for having me.
1: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.